0: Hi, I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape, a weekly exploration of the people, places, and spirit of New York City. From outdoor movies to outdoor concerts, New York City has a whole lot to offer in the summertime. Among the ways to experience live performance in the open air is through the City Parks Foundation's Summer Stage Festival. Several parks throughout the five boroughs host concerts, most of them for free as part of Summer Stage. But the series traces its roots to Central Park, where concertgoers this summer are in for a whole new experience. That's because Central Park's Summer Stage concert venue has undergone a $5.5 million renovation. We recently headed down there to check it out for ourselves.
1: My name is Heather Lubov, and I'm the executive director of City Parks Foundation.
0: So Heather, describe our surroundings right now for our listening audience.
1: So we are standing right in the middle of Central Park at around 72nd Street on the east side in Rumsey Playfield, which turns into Summer Stage every April and May of every year.
0: But Summer Stage actually started, though, a little to my right here at the Banshell in Central Park, right? How long ago?
1: So Summer Stage started at the uh, bandshell, the the Nomburg Bandshell, in 1986 and then moved to Rumsey Playfield in 1990 when it outgrew its space.
0: So tell me about this space and what you put on here.
1: So Summer Stage presents about 50 concerts every year. The majority of them are free of charge. Um, We also do some contemporary dance and some spoken word, but the majority is really music.
0: So how are you able to offer free-of-charge concerts in a city where the average concert ticket goes for at least $100? I was talking about Madonna tickets recently, and, well, wow, much more than $100.
1: Well, we believe that music is for everyone, and we are in a public park, which is a very democratic public space, which is why we think that uh, offering our concerts for free is very important. But, of course, they are not free of cost. Um, so we have some very generous sponsors who help support our work. Um, there are a number of foundations that support our work. And then we have very dedicated members who make sure to come every year and support our work as well.
0: What are among the performances coming up that you are most excited about?
1: It's like picking your favorite child. I'm not sure I can answer that. But every year, you know, even if I don't know who the artists are, someone is going to be excited about them and they're going to be a lot of people personally i'm excited about corinne bailey ray who's coming up later in the season and la india which i know is going to be a huge salsa show so those are just a couple
0: you have a goal right now of striking gender equity in your music performances right
1: yes we are very proud that this year we are at a balance of 50 50 in terms of gender for our bookings
0: talk about the importance of that
1: so I think there's been a lot of talk recently about the imbalance in the music industry. Two years ago at the Grammys, where so many men went uh, won and women did not. Of course, it changed a little bit last year. But really, worldwide, it's still 70-30 male-female. Um, but this year, because we are, our, we are a mission-based festival, and it's incredibly important to us to represent the entire population of New York City, which of course is 50-50, Um, So we made a concerted effort to make sure that we were booking 50-50.
0: The festival itself is also planned by women, am I right?
1: Yes, we are a women-run festival. So our artistic director and our programming team uh, and our director of operations, and of course me, but I don't count as much.
0: Let's talk about this stage. This is brand new here, a $5.5 million renovation of this facility.
1: Yes. So the canopy, which is the most important part of the stage, uh, was the driver of the decision to renovate. So the canopy is now 20% larger. Um, and can bear much more weight. And that was really the reason that we we needed to make the change to start with. We were finding that tours were coming through and we weren't able to support the weight of their full production. They wanted more lights, they wanted more sets, uh, and our our stage could not support that weight. So the first thing was to replace the canopy. Um, But once we did that, once we were planning to do that, we really thought, okay, let's take a look at the venue as a whole and then rethink how people, both audiences and artists, use the space.
0: So what did you discover in that rethinking?
1: So, uh, one of the things that had always frustrated us was that um, there was a fire lane right down the middle of the field, which was sort of prime viewing area that you couldn't access. We also had a sound tent right in the middle of the field, which blocked the view of everyone behind. And we also saw that people would move through the space in front of crowds. So, if you're trying to watch a show, there are people walking back and forth in front of you, which is very disruptive. So... Our architect, who is an expert in outdoor venues, really said, "Think of it as a coliseum. Move the seating in and have everyone do their business, whatever that is—buying food, you know, walking through on the outside of the space, like you do in a stadium." So we moved the bleachers in, which uh, now compacts the space, but actually gives us more ability to have people stand in the space because those fire lanes are gone because they're now on the outside of the venue so that was the most important from an experiential point of view we also raised the bleachers up three feet so if you're sitting in the bleachers you can see above the standing crowd and then we added some decks on either side of the stage so that um, artists guests for example can can watch the show uh, from an elevated level
0: how has it been to watch the changes in motion because your season is underway
1: I think it's been game-changing. You know, I think people walk into this space and think, wow, this, this is a real venue now. You know, I think before it was more pop-up. It felt temporary. Um, it felt kind of thrown together, even though we spent a lot of time on it. And now people walk in and think this is, even though we're not a permanent space, you know, we set up and take down after six months. Um, when you walk in, you really feel that sense of permanence. This is, this is a serious venue.
0: It looks like a permanent space. You actually take all of this down?
1: We, we take everything down. So by November 1st, if you were to come to Rumsey Playfield, it would be completely empty.
0: How many people can you accommodate here?
1: Our capacity is 5,500.
0: And are you filling up each evening that you have a concert?
1: We, you know, it depends on the show. Um, we absolutely have filled up this season already. Um, sometimes we put chairs down on the field, which, which cuts down on the capacity a bit but every show has looked incredibly full.
0: How do people get tickets to Summer Stage?
1: Summer Stage does not require tickets. So uh, for all of our free concerts, it's first come first serve and you can sit or stand wherever you'd like. Um, We do as a way of raising money for the venue, um, have some shows where we sell tickets um, and those are fundraisers for us. So those tickets you can get on our website.
0: Do you at all rent out this space to performers?
1: So we, we have two kinds of rentals. Um, first is the Good Morning America summer concert series broadcasts from our venue every Friday morning in the summer. And those are all free shows. So as long as you wait in line and, and you know there's capacity, you can come in and watch those shows and that broadcast. And then we also rent the space out for private events, which helps us raise money to support our work.
0: So if you're bringing in artists, you need a green room or more than one green room. Tell us about the green rooms.
1: So we have significantly expanded and upgraded our dressing rooms for our artists. So now we have four single-person dressing rooms and two um, green rooms that allow for dance companies or choruses or larger larger bands. And they have, one of them has a shower, which is a first for us. Um, We've added more bathrooms, they're all air conditioned, um, and they've been outfitted with furniture from West Elm, so they look lovely.
0: (laughs) And you did that with sustainability in mind, right? Those are recycled trailers?
1: Yes, so um, the shipping, they are recycled shipping containers that have been repurposed as dressing rooms.
0: We should also point out that this isn't the only place in the city that there are summer stage concerts, right?
1: That is very true. So we are a citywide festival. We do as many shows in Central Park as we do outside of Central Park. So we have a mobile stage that moves from park location to park location. Uh, So we do about 50 shows in neighborhood parks, um, and we focus on under-resourced communities that don't have a lot of other access to free performing arts. Um, So we're in Brownsville, for example, and Queensbridge. And we really program to those local communities uh, and who lives in those communities to make sure that we are relevant.
0: What would you say has been your most memorable show throughout time now?
1: (laughs) I've been going to Summer Stage since 1989, so that's a very hard question to answer. But I think what makes a show memorable is not always the performer it's the experience which is what makes summer stage so wonderful so being in the informal setting of a park where you can spend time with your friends and enjoy a show that's what sticks in my mind so there was a show that I went to probably in 1990 uh, with Shinehead and Pato Bantan which was one of my most favorite shows because of the people I was with and because of the experience on stage but I could give you 20 shows that have been fantastic
0: I'm going to assume that you weren't working for Summer Stage (laughs) when you were going to those shows in the late 80s.
1: No, I was in college in 1989. But I remember my very first show was Toots and the Maytals, and I went with a friend from high school because I grew up in the city. And it afforded us an opportunity to see all these incredible artists, and we didn't have any money, so this was the way that we saw art. And I want to make sure that we allow that to happen for the next generation of New Yorkers.
0: So what's it like for you now to be a part of it in the planning of it all?
1: I have the best job in the world. I honestly do. I can't imagine doing something better to give back to the city that I love.
0: Heather, thanks so much for your time.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Heather LaBeouf is executive director of the City Parks Foundation. Taking in a free concert is just one of many ways to enjoy Central Park. While it's a stone's throw for many of the city's great museums, like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Central Park is itself a museum of sorts. The park is home to several remarkable sculptures, statues, and memorials. Joining me now in the studio is photographer Katerina Aestrom. She's behind the photos in a new book called The Statues of Central Park. Katerina, thanks so much for coming in.
2: Thank you very much for letting me come here.
0: So, first of all, you are not native to New York, right?
2: No, I'm not. I come from Sweden, and I've been living in uh, New York since 2001. Or 2000, I came here.
0: Since 2000. Yeah. When was the first time you stepped foot in Central Park?
2: I mean, the first time I came to New York was 1986. So then I, of course, visited Central Park. And I remember it was um, New York Marathon. So, I mean, that was like a big weekend to come (laughs) to New York.
0: Yeah, what a day to visit Central Park. What were your first impressions of the park?
2: I was impressed of the size, that it was like so enormous, big. I mean, New York is a big city, but the park was like, wow. It's a city where, I mean... Every square meter is very expensive, so it's uh, it's impressive that uh, they let so much land go to a park.
0: When you first visited Central Park, did you take notice of the statues way back when? No.
2: it. I mean, I must say that I had lived in New York for quite a while before I really paid attention to the statues. I think I am like uh, most New Yorkers. They don't see them. They're just there.
0: Well, that's not going to be the case anymore with this book, right? Was that the desire of yours for this book to draw no
2: it was not it was a friend of mine that is a book publisher he grew up next to the park and he he always mentioned that he wanted to make a book about the statues so i i had done many book projects with him and i just started for fun to take some pictures and then i showed him maybe we should do the book and that's how it started
0: So, for someone who didn't take notice of the statues the first time around, what did you start to notice about the statues in the park when you actually focused in on them, literally focused in on them?
2: First of all, that they were so many, and that some of them are hidden, almost. I mean, it depends on what season it is, if you see them or not. And also that some of them are elevated, some others you can touch, you can sit down next to Horsey Anderson. And, um, I mean, also that you can see that they are from different time periods.
0: Speaking of those that are way up, Duke Ellington is way up, correct? Yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. What an amazing statue that is, though, yeah. with a piano and all. Yeah.
2: And, I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot of people that have said after they looked through the book, oh, that statue I've never, ever seen before. How many statues did you photograph? Oh, I haven't counted them. I should have done that. I mean, we have covered most of the statues. I mean, I think there are some smaller, like, there are some benches That's also, like, uh, are part of the, the statues. They are not in the book. But otherwise, I think we have very much covered most of them. So um, how
0: many are there in the park? Do you have a number?
2: It's 141 sculptures and monuments all together in the park.
0: How diverse are those sculptures and monuments in terms of what they depict?
2: Uh, I mean, shocking for me was that there was actually no female statues that was honored. It is um, 23 uh, statues that have figures with women, but none of them are honored Woman, And the first one will come next year.
0: Yes, Elizabeth Cady Stanton is coming. Yes. And Susan B. Anthony is coming.
2: Yeah, that's correct. They're going to be placed in, in the mall. So. so that
0: was surprising to you that there were no real-life women. Yeah. There are... Fictional women in yeah. the park, though. Yeah, no, I, I thought
2: that was a little, like, sad to see that, I mean, <laughs> uh, we're living in a, a modern uh, time and that it had not happened before. But uh, at least if it, it will be corrected next year, so that's good news.
0: Do you plan to go back and photograph those two statues? Yeah, maybe
2: we have to new, make a new addition to the book and include that. I think so.
0: As I did mention, though, there are fictional women characters in the park yeah alice in wonderland is one of them
2: yeah exactly and that's probably one of the most uh, loved statues of uh, children i mean that's one of those that i remember from an early part of going to the park because i mean i have a daughter she was playing at alice in wonderland so
0: mother goose is also in the park yeah I have to say, Mother Goose, I think, it's a little scary to me as yeah, a statue. But Did I'm you find
2: fascinated that as well? I'm very fascinated with that statue. Why? Uh, it's interesting. It's very interesting to photograph, too. And, I mean, it's a massive uh, uh, stone that they have used.
0: When you came at these statues with your lens, what specifically were you looking to capture?
2: Uh, it was depending on weather. It was depending on season. It was almost, I would say, depending on mood, a little like how you saw the statues. They become friends to me. And one thing was that when I started this project, I didn't want to know anything about the statues. Because I felt that if I know about them, I should probably approach them in a different way. Hmm. So I thought that was good.
0: So you approached them as a stranger?
2: Yeah, I did, very much.
0: But as you just said, they became friends.
2: Yeah. And later on, I learned about my friends. So, Which
0: friend surprised you most to know about their past, their history?
2: Uh, I would say that Webster was probably one of those.
0: Daniel but, Webster.
2: Yeah, because um, I, I really didn't like him. I mean, he was—he has a little angry look, and it was like he was always like checking you out. He <laughs> came there with your cameras, and you felt like, hmm, he doesn't allow me to take picture of him. And uh, it was interesting to read a little about him. And um, that, I mean, he was a politician that was important in America. And um, that the, the sculptor that did the sculpture of him, his name was Thomas Bell. And it was Webster that made him famous. And um, that just before Webster died, he created a little bust. And uh, it became very popular. So they started to mass produce those uh, small statues, and after that, they actually put up the the statue of him,
0: and he's standing there very high up. So, did you go back to photograph the same statues during different seasons? Yeah, I had a little route, so
2: I was going and starting on hundred tenth Street, and then I was like going down, and I I usually met old the statues every time when I went to the park
0: this is a big park yeah a lot of walking huh
2: it was a lot of walking (laughs) Very, very much I had a special pair of shoes that they were really teared down when I was done with the book I called them my statue shoes. (laughs)
0: shoes. <laughs> they were worn out by the time it was all totally over.
2: worn out, yes. No. But I mean I this is a kind of book. I mean it's not that you go there a couple of times and take picture because you wanna see them in different season and also the light. it's natural light that I was using. So I mean I have to follow where the sun was and if there was any sun.
0: Yeah, how dramatically different is the park during the different seasons?
2: Very much. Very much. I mean the the statues are very empty when the leaves comes off the trees but they can also be they look like other s- statues when they get snow on them and I mean I-, I was there both during a snowstorm and I was there in nice winter day with a blue sky too so I mean every different season I mean even winter shots are different and I think that's fascinating me so much when I took this picture that It gave me freedom to be my own artist in the way I approached them. It was not that I should just take a picture of them. I could create them the way I wanted it.
0: So when you went back in winter, for instance, if you had already been there in the spring, had you looked at those photographs first before you went back to say, you know what, I want to capture this a different way? No.
2: No. No. I never do. I mean, I... I would say that I did not start to look through the picture before it was done, to, when it was, was time to start to edit the book. And um, uh, I, I think that's the way I'm working. I don't want to look at others and I don't even want to look at my own picture. Because I, I mean, I, every uh, photo opportunity was like unique and you find a new way of yeah, taking your p- photos.
0: Based on what you said about the Daniel Webster statue, it seems to me that you, in some ways, put personalities into these statues. Yeah. Is that think, true? Yeah? Yeah, I think it. You said he was a little obnoxious. Yeah, he was a
2: little like, you felt like, oh, aren't she coming now again and take photos of <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who would you say was the friendliest?
2: I really love the, the Burnett uh, fountain that I also choose to have on the cover because I, I think it's a very friendly statue. And uh, I love when uh, the bronze birds in the statue meets the real birds. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's really a very beautiful moment.
0: Many of the statues in Central Park depict animals, right?
2: Yeah, there are several animals, yes. We have, of course, Balto. That most people. If they don't know about any other statues in the park, they, have, they know Balto.
0: For those who have never met Balto, tell us about Balto.
2: Uh, I mean, Balter, he was a dog and he he saved a lot of people in Alaska because there was a diphtheria, epidemia there and they couldn't reach uh, a town with a medication that was needed. And the only way that they decided, because there was no train, there was no, uh, they, they could not fly there even. Dogs, uh, sled dogs was the only way that they could approach this uh, town. So, I mean the whole world followed him uh on radio when they were going there one that i really like it is uh, the cougar the still hunt because i mean he just shows up there and you almost think that is that real or and i, th- I think it's a lot of runners that have got very scared when they've been running there and he just uh, shows up there up in the mountains and yeah. he can also look very beautiful when it, the fall color and also in winter
0: yeah, that cougar looks like he's about ready to jump, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, Or she, I yeah. don't know.
2: Yeah, we don't know if it's a he or she.
0: <laughs> a lot of people will pay high ticket prices to see Hamilton on Broadway, but you can see Hamilton in Central Park.
2: Yeah, you can do, absolutely. And he has a perfect spot behind the Metropolitan Museum. And uh, I, I think he's a, he's a very interesting guy. Uh, and uh, I, I also found out that we are born the same day, so maybe that's uh, why... <laughs> I'm fascinated of him. But, I mean, he he, he was born in uh, in the Caribbean, and he was a wedlock and an orphan by age 12. And he came to America, and, I mean, he became one of the fathers of America. And I, I like that statue very much. He really changed during the season. He's one guy in winter and another in uh, the springtime. Yeah? How yeah.
0: how so? What do you see differently?
2: <laughs> I mean, the background you have. He has all the, the trees in the background. That uh, really makes it very... Different
0: Central Park is also home to a king, or at least yes. a statue of one.
2: I, I call him the Poland, and um, he was a um, Duke of Lithuania, and he married a Queen of uh, Poland. He that's one of the most powerful of the statues, I would say. And um, he's on
0: horseback, am I correct?
2: Yes, he's on a horse, yes. Mm-hmm. And then he has two swords, mm-hmm. one in each, and he's crossing them. And that one came to the World, uh, Ex- uh, World Fair that they had in Flushing. And uh, then they were supposed to send it back to Poland. But um, that was during their World War II. So uh, Poland was uh, occupied by the Nazis, so they couldn't send it back at that time. And uh, when the war was over, Poland decided that, uh, to give the statue to Central Park.
0: How did you find all of these statues yourself? Did you have a map that depicted exactly where all of these statues are?
2: Yeah, I looked up a map just to see where they are. And um, some of them was like almost difficult to find in the beginning. And then I know where they were, so then it was easy.
0: So a little bit of a scavenger hunt.
2: Yeah, it was, definitely.
0: Sometimes when people see someone else taking a photograph, they stop and take a photograph themselves. Did that happen a lot when you were out and about? Yeah,
2: it was very often that people were like uh, wondering, "Why do you take so many pictures? And uh, why are you taking them from that side? I mean, that's the back of the statue." And so then I, I started, yeah, I said that I, I'm working on a book project, so yeah. And then then they start to ask me a lot of questions and uh, about what was my favorite and yeah, things like that.
0: Do you have an absolute favorite?
2: I don't think I have an absolute favorite, but I I must say that uh, the Burnett is one of them. And it's also the location of that one. uh, Most people, they don't know it because, I mean, it's uh, in the conservatory garden. And it's a place of the Central Park that you go there if you know where it is. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, it's maybe a little too north for a lot of people. That starts down on 59th Street.
0: Central Park is home to a statue of Hans Christian Andersen, right?
2: Yeah. And I mean, I'm from Scandinavia, so of course it is um, a very interesting uh, statue for me. Um, because I mean, I when I was a kid, uh, that was the kind of stories that they read for me. He's very well known in Scandinavia, that's for sure. But there is actually another um, Danish statue too that is um, uh, of um, Albert Bertel Torvalsen, and he is. Um, there is probably no, none that know about him.
0: Yeah, who here. is he? What did he do?
2: He he was a um, sculptor, and he was from uh, Copenhagen. He was pretty famous, and uh, this is the only sculpture that is made by uh, an artist that you find in the park and it's actually a replica from uh, the original that you can find in Copenhagen and the original is in granite this one is in bronze.
0: Did you do this all in one year four seasons one year? Uh,
2: I would say I did most of it in one year and then I went back uh, once in a while.
0: How many photographs would you say you had all together that you had to go through? Wow, I can't even imagine.
2: Eh, I don't know how many it was, but I mean, that's my job. I'm a photographer. I'm used to go through picture. But what was very nice was that um, they let me choose the picture, and they also let me be part of the layout. Because, I mean, as a photographer, you know which picture that matches another one. And uh, that was fun. That was fun for me to to work on that, too, because that was like to see... All the pictures when you eyes.
0: What kind of camera do you use?
2: Uh, I use Nikon.
0: And that's digital?
2: It's a digital, yes.
0: Yeah. I would imagine you didn't start on digital, did you?
2: No, I started on film. And I I still miss film.
0: What do you miss about it?
2: I think you were thinking much more before you took a picture. Now you just click, oh, another one, click, 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 click. And then you have tons of people, uh, pictures to go through when you're ready. Uh, I think that you were thinking before, and um, you were also using your skills a little bit more. You were like looking, where is the sun? No, this is not
0: going to work. What inspired you to get into photography?
2: I was only eight years old when I bought my first SLR camera. Huh. I worked the entire summer on my grandfather's, um, he had garment fi- uh, factories. And uh, I was working there, and I was picking strawberries, and I was saving, and I did not have enough. I had to borrow some money from my father, too. And I bought a Minolta 101B. I still have that camera. Huh. I don't know why I bought it. I was fascinated from a very early age about photography. And
0: what would you take pictures of as an 8-year-old?
2: Uh, I arranged picture. I love to, like to... Uh, I took on my toys and I took on other things. And I was just fascinated that uh, you could take a photo of almost everything. And then I got into the dark room and that was like fascinating. But the thing was, I never, ever thought about becoming a photographer. I don't even thought about it
0: as a job. It was a hobby.
2: Yeah, it was just something that you just did. It was like no big deal. And wherever I lived, I had a dark room. It was either in the kitchen or in the bathroom. And it has always been like that.
0: One thing that I noticed in this book is that there aren't photos of people interacting with the statues. We're solely focused on the statue. Mm. Deliberate? It
2: it was a little like um, when I started to take the picture and say, don't have any people in because I I think it has to do with um, the, the rights. But uh, on the other hand, it is on public place, so then it should not be part of it, I don't think. But, yeah. um, No, I I didn't want to involve people because
0: I felt that maybe I have to ask for permission if I'm going to have it. Did you notice any interesting moments, though, where people were interacting with the statues?
2: Yeah, I mean... I remember it was, when, especially when I tried to take picture of Alice in Wonderland, that it was very difficult to take without kids, so you almost have to ask, do you think that you can step aside for two minutes or <laughs> two <laughs> seconds so I can just take this picture without you? Yeah.
0: How frequently do you go to Central Park now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I love to go there. I mean, every chance I get, I go there. Absolutely. Do you see it
0: differently after this project?
2: Yeah, I do. I feel like I'm part of the
0: park. Well, the book is The Statues of Central Park. Katerina, thank you so much for coming in.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Katerina Astrom's book, The Statues of Central Park, is out now. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boracchi. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. And thank you so much for listening.